I like your smile, but unlike you, put your shoes on my face. Hello, and welcome to the China Podcast. We're going to have to explain that one. You might be right. Because it's such a ridiculous open statement for a podcast. Yeah, and it, it doesn't make any sense. None whatsoever. So, let's have it. Okay. If you've been listening to the podcast over the last few months, you'll have, you'll have likely noticed how we begin most episodes with some kind of absurd opening statement or other. I'm sure the listeners outside China having a monkeys what they mean or why we spout such nonsense. However, people living in China may be familiar with them because they've seen them. They've seen them written on street signage around the country, be that public parks, public toilets, road signs, scenic areas, even in buildings, right? Yeah. Um, They've been a permanent feature of daily life in China for a long time now. Uh, And the thing about these signs is that a minority of them are written in what people here in China would call Chinglish. Or in other words, a a poor translation of whatever message it is the local authorities are trying to convey to the foreign public Mm. um, to help them along, you know. Um, Now, we don't intend to poke fun at anybody here, but these signs have always been a source of amusement to many. And not just foreigners, but also to to any Chinese person who can understand the English translation. Um, And it's the absurdity of some of them that will stop you dead in your tracks and go, what the fuck? And so many of these signs have been captured (laughs) and put on the internet. Um, Like, do a web search. They're there in all their glory. They sure are. And one day, a few months back, we both came across one of these signs and we remarked on it, you know, and then, and then, and then I said, "Like, wouldn't it be funny if we named every podcast episode after one of these signs?" Yeah. Um, and for a minute, in our vanity, I suppose uh, we both thought it was going to be a good but, idea. But it might not appeal to every listener. Exactly. So we didn't bother. Yeah. Um, what so we decided on instead was we we drop one of these statements right into the beginning of each podcast. Um, instead of you know naming the podcast after something which might be. You know, dodgy. Yeah, very true. Um, and I don't know, like, does it work for you, the listener? You see, we just feel it's better to have something a little quirky than to start off dry with the whole hello and welcome to the China podcast, followed by the, the usual introductionary spiel. Um, but sadly, this is the thing, these Chinglish signs may be a thing of the past. Yeah, that's right, because the 1st of January this year, a new regulation was passed in Beijing to establish the the setting up of standardized Chinese and foreign language signs in five categories of public venues. The basic aim is to elevate Beijing's international service level. And that's going to affect signage on public transport, sporting venues, public services, and wherever else needs a little bit of tender loving care. And this isn't the first time either that this kind of policy has been implemented. Um, There was a more wide-scale approach in 2017 undertaken by Chinese authorities to set a national standard for the use of English in the public domain. Anything that was seen as rude, discriminatory or offensive was banned. And you can actually notice the difference in that time. Yeah, uh, a perfect example of that is the, the racist park 
in Beijing. Yeah. <laughs> Look it up. Like, it exists. Yeah, we're Our not. It existed. Existed. We're not messing. Like, it's it, a park called a racist park. Um, maybe you've been there. Um, not that we're accusing anybody of anything, uh, but this is what we're talking about here. A, a classic mistranslation. Racist park should have actually said the park of ethnic minorities on its sign. They were referring to the multitude of races, not that it's a place for racists to hang out and walk their dogs and wave swastikas around on a Sunday morning. Uh, <laughs> but I think they've, they've fixed that one now. And so there you go. Uh, they're saying no more Chinglish signs. No more fuck vegetables displayed in the fruit and veg aisle of the supermarket. Or no more explosive dog on the side of a sniffer dog. No way, no way. Yeah. So, you've been doing a bit of stand-up over the last couple of months, Owen. Tell, I have. Tell us about that. Uh, it's going all right. I've, I've had a few laughs from subjects that I didn't think people would laugh at, let alone talk about. I saw you the first time um, back in December. Yeah, I believe, and yeah, I thought you were you were quite confident. Yeah, you you had a stage presence about you. Well, that's a, you have to. It was fake. All that confidence was fake. Well, you're acting this as well. At yeah, the same this time, is the you thing. Know? Yeah, um, but I felt you carried yourself well. Yeah, you I, know, you got the laughs. Yeah, and people now they remembered you and they know who you are now. I figured if I was confident enough, if I just put a, if I just put across enough confidence, then people will go with me. And I like the whole stage Irish thing as well because you had the, that glass of of beer, the pint of beer, the pint whatever, of beer, yeah. And you were waving it around. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. You know that it, it was it was a prop, you know, it was visual. A prop, yeah. yeah, yeah. It was something visual that they could relate to, like a kind of a. a, a just a link to the performance, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I I feel sorry for anyone sitting right in front of that stage because they would have got a wetting. Yeah, they, probably, they might you have. You were throwing that beer around. I was, I was swinging it around. You but, were, uh, from one side yeah, to the yeah, other. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not sure how much I, I'm not sure how much I spilled, but I did spill some. Um, but it's, it's nerve-wracking to do anything like that because you have an urge to, to please everybody. And the crowds, they're incredibly supportive. Um, they know it's it's only an open mic and everyone is trying their best. Yeah, everyone's in that in the one boat, and yeah. so you don't get much heckling um, because that and that would make a lot of sense in China, you know, with the whole losing face thing. Yeah, I, I was talking to a few Chinese people, and they said that even if they think what the comedian say, is saying is not funny, they're going to laugh anyway because they don't want the comedian to lose face. I imagine it can be very hard to grasp if if what you are doing is correct or actually funny. Um, is that something you find? Do you find that you essentially have to guess what jokes will hit and miss? Sometimes, um, especially when the, the comedy that I love is generally dark and observational. Um, I want to make jokes about race and sexuality and culture and you know divisive topics you know, mm. that sort of thing yeah and it's hard to know if that hit ho- hits home or whether they're just being nice but like there are a lot of foreigners who do the stand up here in china um i mean they can help point the way right yeah they can like the the foreign comedians they do help a lot um now what the the foreign comedians 
they generally deal with the subject matter is like culture shock and their experiences in china and that that can be very funny um but most of the chinese comedians they tend to deal with topics like relationships and marriage and and work but there is this there's this one chinese guy and he has absolutely no filter he's just like me (laughs) he's funnier though um, he just goes straight into whatever topic he wants. And whenever he's about that, he says, you know, these are just jokes, right? And then that's when you know something good is coming. <laughs> yeah, that's the, the sign right there to strap in. Yeah, Sit yeah. Tight. yeah, yeah. I, and I think we get, we can get away with a lot because we're doing it in English. Um, but amongst everyone there, we have one rule for ourselves, and that's no politics. Mm, yeah. It's like not anyone's ever told us, like, we're just not going to do it. Yeah, and that's always the safe bet, of course, in China, um, yeah. you know, which which leads nicely into what we want to talk about today. Um, this week on the podcast, we'll be speaking about languages, and in particular, delivering stand-up comedy in China. And we'll be talking about a few comedians who've tried uh, and their experiences in doing so, namely... Mark Roswell, who is a Canadian comedian, Des Bishop, an Irish comedian, and Joe Wong, a Chinese comedian who made his name in the US and their mission to bring stand-up to a Chinese audience in Chinese. This is the important thing. Um, We're also going to talk about Louis C.K. and his guerrilla gig in Beijing. And what we want to discuss is the emergence of stand-up comedy in the Western sense in China which, by the way, is now a massive industry and it's growing every single day. It really is. Uh, and we'll start with the most popular by far who people in the West may not have heard of, Mark Roswell. Yeah, Dash An, yeah. Um, Dash An is old school comedy royalty in China. There are very few foreigners as popular in comedy as him and he has been here for years doing comedy in Mandarin. Mark Roswell is what we can only call an overnight sensation in China. He became hugely popular after appearing on a televised crosstalk skit in 1988. So we're going back a bit here. Um, He was playing the character Dashan or Big Mountain, which is what it means. And this sensation awoke to learn his audience numbered more than half a billion people, most of whom had never, ever seen a foreigner speaking Chinese. Yeah. Now, crosstalk. Crosstalk is a form of stand-up comedy in China. It's a kind of like a stand-up comedy in China. There are different variations all across Asia, but the premise remains the same. And it's not so different to forms of comedy that people in the West might recognize. Um, it's similar to a type that was popular all the way up to the noughties and even now still exists, though it's not as popular. It's two guys on a stage. One of them is the straight man and the other one is the comic relief. It's a comedy duo. Think Abbott and Costello, the the two Ronnies, Laurel and Hardy, even Uh, Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon. Yeah, Pale and Hayes, you know, massive things. And Roswell compared crosstalk or shensheng, as it's, it's called in Chinese, to the who's on first sketch by Abbott and Costello two guys bouncing off each other over something absurd and that is a very concise description and so it was to the chinese people most of whom in 1988 by the way had never seen a foreigner speaking chinese on tv 
um, that Roswell was a smash hit. This was his audience. Yeah. Uh, and Dashan had amassed a following of millions of adoring aunties and grand aunties. Um, grandmothers too. Yeah. Uh, Mark Roswell had embraced Chinese culture through comedy and he was universally loved. Uh, his first appearance, you see, on TV was actually hosting a singing competition in November 1988. The following month, he was invited to perform a comedic crosstalk skit on national television during the CCTV New Year's Gala, which we referred to during the Spring Festival, that big TV show that's on yeah, New Year's Day. It's on CCTV 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, yeah. Everyone watches it. It's very long. Yeah. Very boring. Quite that's, boring. That's my personal opinion. Yeah. Uh, actually, most people think the most same. Most people's opinion. Um, every, yeah, so it's, it's a variety program broadcast to half a billion people. Um, yeah. And it was only after that show that Dashan started to study Xianxiong or crosstalk formally. In December the following year, Dashan became the first foreigner to be formally accepted into the strict Xianxiong hierarchy as a member of the ninth generation. Yeah. Crosstalk is seen in China as an art form and it's a skill that's considered beyond the reach of most Chinese people, let alone a foreigner. So the fact that there was a foreigner doing this and doing this to such a high level, it was remarkable. And he appeared on the New Year's Gala four times, at some points being watched by a billion people. Yeah, in the early years of this century, he decided to cut down on his public performances of crosstalk. His last appearance was in 2011. Um, the reason he started was the increased expectation to stick to the required topics, right? Stick to the formula. Um, he, Which is becoming more, like, that's the way it's going now. Yeah. You have to stick to the formula mm -hmm. now, like. Yeah. yeah, and he moved into the world of presenting and he hosted many TV shows and he started do a lot of work in non-comedic roles. Um, he even got into educational programs. Some of the most notable of these are Dashan and Friends, which is a program for learning English, uh, as well as a travel program called Travel in Chinese. I, I watched that now. When I when I first came to China, that was on the telly. Travel in Chinese, it was a good way of... Was it inspiring? It was pretty inspiring. And you always saw Dashan sitting there with his little cup of tea. Mm -hmm. And then people would say, oh, he's so funny. And I'm like, oh, He's only teaching me Chinese, you know. <laughs> but we wouldn't be talking about him if that was the end of the story. You see, Mark Roswell's true love is stand-up comedy. That's right. Um, around the beginning of the last decade, he was on a mission. A mission to introduce Western stand-up to China. Which is peculiar because most Chinese people were raised on highly conservative state media, of which Roswell was a staple. Uh, and so he created what he called Dashan 3.0, unshaven with an affinity for the word fuck. Yeah. <laughs> now, for the older generation in China, this didn't go down too well. No, yeah, it wouldn't have like, like they might laugh at his jokes, but afterwards they think to themselves, like, why is why is Dashan stooping so low? But the younger audience, they loved it. Um, and But he wasn't alone trying to bring stand-up to, to China. Huang Shi, who's better known as the Chinese-American comedian Joe Wong, he's a pretty big name in America and he's well able to draw the crowds. He joined Dashan in trying to bring stand-up to the masses in China. 
Um, Joe made a name for himself here in 2010, conversely for a performance that he did in America at the radio and television correspondence dinner in the White House, where he he made fun of Joe Biden. Um, now that clip went viral, and he was a star. He was a star back in his home country, and a few years ago. Wong visited his relatives here in China and he performed at a a little small venue which he described as having maybe 40 people and a real low energy place. And that somehow led to a Wall Street Journal article. Now, the Wall Street Journal article suggested that Chinese people struggled with humour and that Wong's jokes are impossible for the ordinary Chinese person to get. And the myth that Chinese are immune to humour is just that. It's a myth, according to Wang. The catch, though, is that his audience usually needs to be young. Yeah, um, like times are changing. And you've got to yeah. change with the times as well. Absolutely, you yeah. Know, for a guy here in the 80s who's starting off doing this kind of comedy routine, it's a completely different society. It's a different society, yeah. Different generation of people. Uh, different um, people with different expectations. Absolutely. Um, but it does seem that the young people that here in China right now, they really do have an affinity for stand-up comedy. Yeah. They or are re- beginning to get into it. Yeah, yeah, they really do. Like, they really do have an affinity for it. But it's a, a constant struggle to get stand-up comedy to the people. It stands almost in opposition to crosstalk. Like, crosstalk is a form, is it's the form that most live comedy in China still takes. Um, if I translate crosstalk, shensheng, it's literally face and voice. Crosstalk, is a, it's a tea house tradition. It's similar to vaudeville. Um, it, it involves two men swapping shaggy dog stories and wordplay. Um, Back in the olden days, it was very edgy and it was even subversive. Um, the medium was thoroughly stifled after 1949 under the Communist Party's Committee for Crosstalk Reform. Yeah. Um, so the government, of course, they set up a committee to deal with the content of it. They surely did. They did. Um, and it was a big push to regulate it. And... Though some vulgarity eventually returned, crosstalk it hasn't absorbed much in the way of modernity over the over the years. But yet it persists mostly because there's nothing else. Um, Wong explains it like this: crosstalk is very direct, very in-your-face humor. The audience wants you to say something that makes them shed their anger, a catharsis, that type of thing. And though he notes that type of humour is not his type of humour, his type of humour is stand-up. And stand-up, by contrast, it requires no rules, no script, no partner. Instead, it rewards individualism. You can't talk about your real feelings and have people be okay with it, Wong says. In America, there's a lot of deadpan humour. But in China, there's less because people are more reserved in their daily lives. Yeah. And stand-up comedy, it's one person on their stage. It's one person on their stage. It's not collective. 
Yeah, they're they're, they're they're speaking their mind. They're speaking their mind directly, and the audience then chooses to take offense. Yeah, yeah. Um, Des Bishop. Yeah, right. We mentioned this guy last week on the show. Yeah, uh, we were talking about the the marriage markets. Yeah, Des Bishop was one of the guys who was in China at the time. Um, if you remember, if you listen to it, he took a, a subway. Or his friend took a subway. Which him and his friend took the and subway and he had the cutout. He had the cardboard cutout of himself. Life-size car- yeah. cardboard cutout. Um, yeah. But yeah, Des Bishop was in China for a while. Um, he's, an, he's an Irish comedian. He's, he was born in America. Um, but he, yeah, when he, he actually warmed up for Joe Wong in a show in Shanghai when he was here. Um, and he's a comedian who spent a year in Beijing mastering Mandarin for a documentary with Irish broadcaster RTE. That's the state broadcaster in, yeah. in Ireland. Um, and it was called Des Bishop Breaking China. He actually stayed for an additional year, which was not televised, um, having seen the growth in comedy in China. He, he was interested. He wanted, yeah, yeah. And anyone, he wanted to support it. He basically. wanted to support it, basically, yeah. And he was there at the, at the, at the vanguard. He was in the vanguard. You know, even as early as, you know, 2010, you know. Um, and anyone listening in Ireland, you'll immediately know who Des Bishop is. He's had many, many, many TV shows and done large performances all across the country. Uh, and of course, he previously, uh, he learned the Irish language to, to do a stand-up gig in Irish, uh, which was very successful. Yeah, I remember him saying that he did that because because of his American accent, like people automatically assumed that he was American and that was a good way of shutting him up. It's a great way of shutting up most of Ireland. I mean, just, just talk to them in their native language. As sad as that seems, it's true. Yeah. It may be obligatory to learn as a student. It's going to go through school for 18 years. Well, not 18 years, but well, 13, 14 years, as long as you're in Until school. we're 18, yeah. yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean that we learn it, despite all those years learning yeah. it. Like, half the country couldn't, they couldn't tell you more than 10 words. Like, that's it. That's what they've got. Yeah. You might have heard us say, Kalka Millish on the show. Yeah. Shuppa, which yeah. means a shop. Yeah. Fear August Manaw. And will Cadigum Dulgadi and Literus? Yeah, no, you can't. No, you're doing a podcast. You can't go to the toilet. Um, <laughs> so, you heard I struggled to get that one out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, there were three big name comedians playing their trade in China at the same time in Chinese, and all with the express intention of bringing stand up comedy in the Western sense to China. That's right. And it was a massive boost to the popularity of stand-up, particularly in the big cities of Beijing, Shanghai and Guangzhou. Um, Des Bishop, as a child, grew up near Chinatown in New York. He started practicing Kung Fu and he became obsessed with China. Um, During the filming of his Des Bishop work experience series for RTE in 2003, he worked at an Irish fast food chain called Abracababra. So while shoveling chips and learning the art of kebab making, he, he worked with and befriended a group of young Chinese guys. After bonding with them, he paid them a visit when they returned home in 2004 and was, in his words, blown away by, by how different China was to what, what I expected. Um, I think that's most people's 
a reaction to China? Like, what was your first impression? Well, I kind of went to a place off the grid. Yeah. You know, so I wasn't in awe or anything. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. it was kind of kind of along the lines of what I expected. Yeah. Um, but after that, if I went anywhere else, it was like, wow, this is so different. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, when when I rocked up to China, I didn't rock up to Shanghai or Beijing. Yeah, um, I went to what would you say a, a third or fourth tier city? No, if there if there are three tiers, that's a second tier. Like the first tier are the first tier are comparable to New York or well, anywhere. not Chongqing, but but yeah. Guangzhou. Guangzhou, we yeah, 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 yeah. This is the first, but this is the third tier. Guangzhou. No, no, no there there's there's worse than that. Like well, not you, worse, not like more impoverished than that. Right. Okay. You know. Um so like that would be the medium tier. It'd right. be a tier two. Okay. Um but like for anyone who rocks up to a Shanghai or a, or a Beijing, oh. their mind is gonna be blown. Unbelievable. Especially Shanghai because yeah. it's so modern, it's yeah. so clean. Uh, you've got all sorts of amenities, public amenities yeah, yeah. there. Well I, I life rock- is easier. Yeah, I rocked up to Beijing. I rocked up to Beijing long time ago, and my first impression was that it was it was bloody cold. Um, but it, like when I got the gumption up to walk outside the door, I was blown away. It's it's really not like what you think. I, if you've never been here, you you just don't know. Yeah, and this is what this is what Des Bishop was was talking about. Um, on his show in in on China, um, he explained like that you know the West's version of China is pretty narrow, narrow yeah. minded. You know people yeah. have misconceptions, um, and he says while the message that their economy is booming and the, the government's terrible, all this kind of thing, that's what you often hear in the West. I mean, you don't learn a hell of a lot about the people. Um, and in his words, he says we we tend to focus on the differences, not the similarities, and. He also said it's a pretty big part of the planet, so it's not a bad thing to know about it. Every time you go for Chinese, every time you see a stupid tattoo in the West, China is so much part of our culture. Him meaning the cultures around the world outside of China. Yeah, um, which is only partially true because I would love a Sichuan King Prawn and I haven't been able to get one for years and I live in Sichuan. Sure. Where do you think Sichuan people are going to get King Prawns? A million miles from the sea? Yeah. No? A snappy name and a good taste. All they're missing is a model with narrow eyes and a paddy field hat. So, Des was looking to get Chinese people laughing in Chinese to jokes told in China in front of a live audience. He was. And while many other Western comedians have known to roll in and like stay for a week and make borderline jokes bishop uprooted he lived with a chinese family for over a year and learned their language and he spoke about comedians who just roll up to china saying yeah they make jokes and you know the expats laugh but they're probably offensive to the chinese without realizing um he didn't want to offend people because they probably wouldn't react too well to it yeah, and that's the thing about stand-up, though, isn't it? In in the West, we've been conditioned to almost accept that when we listen to stand-up comedy, 
we're going to be offended by something. That's what stand-up comedy essentially is. And China is not there yet. And it's something that Bishop is very aware of because he had to do it himself. Uh, He was seen as an American making fun of the Irish. It was a constant battle for him in his younger days, trying to work out how to make fun of Irish people without them thinking he was mocking them. Uh, He found a way to frame the jokes so people could see themselves in it. There's a bit of mockery in it, but, you know, that that is the nature of stand-up after all. Yeah, that's that's another point that Joe Wong brought up. He said, subtlety doesn't land as much here, but that's more due to the lack of exposure. And that's the perception that's shared by Bishop. Um, He compared comedy to hip-hop. You know, he said, like, sure, the hip-hop, you know, that is, it's now more complex, but that is just a natural evolution. Um, And it seems to be true. As more and more people are exposed to stand-up, the more they will be relaxed with the form of it. Yeah, the, and the occasional trip over by a foreign comedian to China, it's not going to cut it for expanding the comedy scene in China. No, it's just like a novelty act. It's a novelty act. You know, you rock up and play to the, play to the foreigners. Yeah, and it's not going to, you know, st- stick with people yeah. in the long run. No, it's not. Um, but yeah, most of them probably wouldn't even get permission to perform anyway. Mm, that's another thing. Yeah. Um, so in order to perform a concert in China, you need to get a performance license. To get a performance license, you need to have your routine vetted. Bishop gives an example of a joke he learned that crossed the line. It was a joke he learned from his Mandarin teacher about different ways the word love is written. In simplified Chinese, which is used on the mainland and traditional Chinese, the word is written differently. The simplified version removes part of the character that means heart. Bishop replaced the heart symbol with a dollar sign. When Bishop warmed up for Wong in Shanghai, officials vetted the entire performance in advance and they immediately ruled out the joke, having seen this dollar sign. Yeah. You can't compare the differences between simplified and traditional characters as it implies that one is better. Yeah. Um, so keyboard warriors of the world unite. PC culture wins again. No, but don't. Don't, though. Take a step back and think about it. Regardless of your opinion, there are jokes which simply will not be told in a mainstream performance. Making jokes about Taiwan in front of 5,000 Chinese people is not going to fly. But then there are people who don't get permission, aren't there? Like, and some of them are very big names. There, there sure are. Louis C.K., for one. Um, he came to China back in 2012. Um, he was here to do some filming for some other reason and decided to do a stand-up show. Yeah, big name. Big name in America. Big town. You know, you would expect a fanfare. Yeah, well, it got something. The organisers of the event, they went silent very suddenly. And you can tell that something happened. They asked that their name not be used in conjunction with, with the event after the fact. Yeah, which sounds ominous. Yeah, it, it really does. Um, the event wasn't recorded, at least to my knowledge. Um, if anyone out there has a video of it, I'd love to see it. Um what we what we do know about the event is, and what we have about the event is a, a couple of articles and word of mouth, and it seems that for most of his jokes, he was expecting a larger population of Chinese people in the audience. 
Yeah, well, I, I can't expect most Chinese people know who he is anyway. Yeah. Um, but surely, surely there are some Chinese who yeah. would turn out. Like, you, I would imagine so. Um, but the crowd, according to reports, was almost entirely expats. And he realized that about halfway through. And then he seemed to switch from what he had prepared for Chinese people and started making jokes about Asian suffering and, you know, the usual shock fare that you get with Louis C.K. Yeah, um, so essentially he was just doing a gig for foreigners yeah, in the end. Exactly. That You can't blame the guy for trying. I mean, like it is a huge market in China, you know. Any company is trying to tap yeah, into this market. Massive, massive. It's, it's what, one-fifth of the world's population or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, with the number of people who speak English increasing every year in China, like he, he's probably thinking, you know, there's, there's money to be made for a, for a guy like me. You know, because I'm such a big name in America. Yeah. Why not try China? Yeah, exactly. Think Westlife. Think Westlife, exactly, yeah. <laughs> the difference between... Think the Chieftains. The Chieftains the conquered Chieftains, Ireland, yeah. they conquered America, they conquered yeah. the UK. Uh, let's go to China. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the difference between music and comedy is the comedy relies on the words. You know, a melody holds true no matter where it is, mm. you know. Um, but there's there's definitely money to be made, but just probably not for Lewis not in the way he wants it humor requires some sort of a, a a deeper knowledge of the language and like yes there are people in china who speak english but the majority of the people who i know who speak english in china have what i call functional english yeah they don't understand the same nuances and the implications that are involved in the majority of western stand-up comedy um and yeah, they don't have simply don't have that shared experience with Western cultures. Yeah, even even metaphors and analogies, you know, they they lose them. You know, they just don't have a deep enough understanding of. Yeah, it's very black and white. It's very black and white. Yeah, what they say, what they say is what they mean. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Um, which in turn makes it very hard for most of them to understand what foreigners think is funny. It's not that they don't understand comedy. It's that they find other things funny. And so for the likes of Dave Chappelle, Bill Burr, and Louis C.K., their jokes just don't have the same resonance. And the traction they get in China is in video clips, which which are shared with, uh, with Chinese subtitles. Um, yeah. What Chinese people are used to is cartoon sound effects, and garish pop-ups of Chinese characters on the screen. Um, they are directed in bright neon lights to what is considered funny. And some of it is. Um, but at the end of the day, it is a, essentially slapstick comedy. It's slapstick. It, yeah, it's a, there's, it's, there's a routine. The routine is being prepared. And yeah. then it's delivered. And it's, it's shown to millions of people at one time. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you just get, you just get like, boom. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, you get the punchline. You know it's coming. Yeah, and it's and it's dressed up, and it's you know it's very predictable. Yeah, it is very predictable, and you know it's a it's a quandary for those who wish to bring a form of humor, which is rooted in individualism, to a collectivist society, and much like early hip hop, stand up is evolving, and it's a constantly evolving in China. At an exponential pace, everything that we've said to you here today happened 
in the first five years between 2010 and 2015 and you know that's it's new it's new in china mm-hmm. yeah um that's that's very true of course yeah like this is just the start of what can right now be considered a stand-up comedy boom in china um like right now there is more stand-up comedy in china than ever before yeah and just recently, the most popular comedy club in China, which is um, Xiao Guo, um, it's a, a comedy club and it's just been listed on, on the stock exchange and it's been valued at more than half a billion dollars, right? Now, comedy, over, comedy in China, there are comedy clubs everywhere. There's comedy clubs in Beijing, Shanghai, Guangzhou, Chengdu and Chongqing. So where we are here in Chongqing, very close links to mm-hmm. the the guys in Chengdu. And yeah. um, when there's a, a comedic performance on, the guys from Chengdu come to Chongqing. The guys from Chongqing go to Chengdu. Yeah, it's very collaborative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, we had a guy from um, Shenzhen come up. Now, this coming week, we have a guy coming over from Shanghai who's um, very famous. He, he, He's very famous. He, he does um, a thing called Mama Hoo Hoo, which is quite fo- quite popular with expats. He's doing stand-up next week here in Chongqing. People move around. There's money to be made. And that all I'm talking about there is the English language. In Chinese, it's massive. Yeah. Um, like So, you know, from very humble beginnings, um, how did we get to this point so quickly? Um, that's what we're going to talk about next week uh, on the podcast but for now um, we'd like you to yeah, keep subscribing and following wherever you are wherever you listen to the podcast um, yeah you you guys have been been great um, now there's something we we were having a chat about there very yeah. recently um, and this is for YouTube, YouTube listeners yeah. only yeah um, we have a smaller portion of our listeners on youtube um but yeah we have a we have some news uh and we want to break it to you gently because uh, you might yeah. be left feeling a bit disappointed you might even be reeling in anger <laughs> um we've had the podcast available there since we began doing this but it's only in the last week have we realized that our youtube views they don't count as downloads through our website our, our host website uh acast um that means that it's of no benefit to us having it there. And we're beginning to understand why you don't see too many audio-only podcasts on YouTube. Yeah, it's it's fine if you're Joe Rogan or somebody with it, like a professional video setup, you know. Um, yeah, of course. And, you know, that kind of thing requires the ideal space from which to record. Um, at the moment, we can only dream of that kind of visual presentation. Um nor does the space in which we record we record right now belong to either one of us. Um, so, you know, we would need permission we, to do that kind of thing. Yeah, of course we would, yeah. Because um, you're putting essentially somebody else's building on screen. You would need permission. Um, but it's something we might explore in the future. But right now, we're happy going audio only. Yeah, and despite that, we're a small independent podcast and we just don't have the setup. We don't have the, the, the know-how no. of how to do it. We, and it's just the two of us. Yeah. 
you know we 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 record we edit everything ourselves and yeah. prepare this is a, this is us like yeah this is just the two of us you know you know so um maybe maybe one day maybe one day who knows um but we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves it'd be nice like but that's not you going know? to happen for a long time you know it may never happen it may never happen may, might, might not be interested in it at the end exactly. of the day like if, what we're doing now is 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 pretty good yeah and I'm happy enough for we're it. enjoying doing yeah. it we're getting something from it and you know it's rewarding yeah I, I feel it is rewarding um I feel great I feel great you know I feel great just from doing this and well so, it, it's nice to be doing something creative it is and consistently doing it because you know some people you might get a uh, this this quick buzz of creation and, and you, you start doing something yeah. and then it's but it's more of a phase yes and, is and it, 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 it just goes as quickly as it it's came. like that day when you like it's like that, that day when you say oh I'm gonna join the gym and yeah. you go and you go to the gym yeah. and you go go the first day then you might go the second day and the third day and then all of a sudden you've gone three times but you paid for a year exactly you know? exactly that yeah. we're we're not doing that we're 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 keeping going well it's it's like me with the with the football i yeah. i paid for the the membership the annual yeah. membership for the football you never go haven't been at the weekend for any matches yeah <laughs> <laughs> got, got the kit and everything yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but that's just an example um but what we're doing this yeah we are really loving doing yeah. this um but Right, for for YouTube uh, listeners, uh, we do want to redirect you to, to Acast or Spotify. It's on Overcast, Apple, it's, it's on Google, it's, it's all it's over the place. Like where, wherever you can get a, a podcast, that's where it is. Um, the, the important thing though to remember is like if you don't want to go somewhere and have, you feel you have to create an account you don't with Acast. Yeah, you don't have to. With Acast, you can you can find the the podcast. It's there if you it's, search it. If you go onto their website, it's, it's hosted live, so you don't have to do an account. You just hit play. Exactly, and e- exactly that. You don't. Yeah, you don't have to enter in your details yeah. and, and sign up and get get. Yeah, yeah. You know, get get spam emails yeah. and that kind of thing. But like I say, as as good as all this, so as good as we feel. Thank you. Thank you for listening, each and every single one of you, all over the world. Um, uh, but we will, we are thinking about uh, doing some kind of compensation for that because yeah, yeah, yeah. YouTube listeners as well, you guys, you may not be able to find the links if you're not in China. This is true. This is so. True. We're thinking of we'll put up a Facebook page. We'll make a Facebook page we'll and put the we'll, links in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, me and Owen will will add our contacts or whoever's yeah, interested yeah, yeah. will find out and Absolutely, do it yeah. that way so you're not missing out you're not missing out we, we're still thinking yeah. of you but for us from our point of view um, it just doesn't make sense to have it there yeah this is true this is true but anyway again thank you thanks so, for listening yeah um, of course yeah send us any feedback uh, email us tweet us get in contact in whatever way is most convenient great um, hearing from you yeah absolutely and We'll wrap it up there, I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, we'll talk to you next week with uh, another part on language and comedy in China. Toodles. Toodles. <laughs> <laughs> So
就是，又不要脸，又是么回事？